That's how you know. <laughs> All right, we are in the second part of the Gathering Storm series, uh, addressing the challenges that are faced by Jewish and Christian homes. And in that book, we're uh, in the second part, we're drawing on Live Not By Lies, uh, one of the books that we read this past year. And I explained that in order to not live by lies, which is the title of that book, we need to walk, that is live, behave, by truth, biblical truth. Biblical truth is not just reality, but it is the biblical perspective on reality. Uh, we also looked at the difference between the secular culture and behavioral views of behavior. So the culture and psychology and anthropology and sociology see behavior as thought, emotions, and overt actions. The Bible thinks of behavior as the thought and intents of the heart, that which is inside us, the spiritual part of us, and then the physical part of us, the words and deeds that that can be manifest. And of course, the Bible understands that, that we judge each other from the outside, but God looks on the heart. And so there's a very different notion of behavior in the Bible than in the behavioral sciences. Last time we talked about the idea of the emotions and experience being seen as truth. This generation, particularly both millennials and the iGen that we'll talk about when we get to the next uh, book that we're reading, um, see truth as what is authentically their emotional state and what is authentically their experience or what to them is authentic in that framework. Um, but, but biblical truth is different in that we are to obey the scriptures with the leading of the Spirit of God so that we experience reality the way God wants us to. In that sense, we are engaging truth in our experience. So, this week I want to examine the lies, and there are five of them, that uh, we have to make sure that we and our children don't live by. And that is specifically what um, we are being challenged in this current generation to live by these five lies. Before we do that, I want you to turn with me to Romans 3, 1 to 9. We're going we're gonna to start from that perspective. In Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 9, Paul has already talked about the Gentiles not knowing God have sinned, and even the Jews knowing God have sinned, for we are all sinners. And he says this, Then what advantage has the Jew? And what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles, or the word, of God. What then, if some did not believe... Does their unbelief nullify the faithfulness of God? Of course not. May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written. Now, I want to tell you that that verse is translated somewhat different in every translation. I've actually used the King James for the title of this, Let God be true and every man a liar. I think that the intent of the text is what we have here in the uh, NASB where it says, 
let God be found to be true, the author of truth, though every man could end up being a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. In other words, ultimately God will be seen as the source of truth and having spoken truth to us regardless of what human beings have said. So he will be able to judge us by the truth that he has revealed. He says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be, for otherwise, how could God judge the world? How can God judge the world if he doesn't bring his wrath upon sin? Uh, But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as some slanderously report, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Now, this passage is Paul talking about the righteousness of faith. Versus the righteousness of obedience. Those are different. No obedience will bring about salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. And therefore we can sometimes be accused of believing that we can sin that grace may abound. And of course later in this book Paul will say God forbid that we should do that. We obey God not because it saves us. But because we know him and we struggle In that obedience. So this week I want to uh, look at that. uh, So that this message will be clear. So there are five lies. That are being spread throughout our culture. That we need to avoid. I've talked about them earlier in the series. I want to bring them all together now. So that you can see them um, together. The first one is secularism. Secularism says that no God, there is no God, and therefore all problems of humanity can be solved by science and by reason. Now this is really important. Secularism says there's a no God zone. God doesn't exist. The entire universe is a, God zone, is a no God zone. Now, the danger for us and for our children is not to believe that. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We don't believe that. We believe there's a God. But there's a danger for us to think that there's a secular part of life and a sacred part of life. I'm not talking about the holy common categories of the Bible. I'm talking about an idea that there is a place where God is and a place where God is not. The Bible's really clear about this, and so we shouldn't compartmentalize secularism. Uh, God is present, and God is active in every aspect of this creation. There is no reality where God is not present, and he's not active. He knows the very hair, number of hair on our head. Luke tells us that in his gospel. He is present everywhere. The psalmist tells us that in Psalm 139. Where can I go that your spirit isn't? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. There's nowhere I can go, God, where you're not there. 
And then in Colossians, the scripture says that Jesus upholds all things by the word, by the power of his word. And Hebrews says that Jesus is also the one who is the word of God who is sustaining all things. So it's really critical that we understand this. And the verse I want you to look at for this is Acts 17. Chapter 17, verses 28 and 29. The Apostle Paul is at the Aragopolis, or the Mars Hill, as uh, many Bibles uh, mention it. And in Acts chapter 17, he's asked to speak to them. You know this passage. This is where he talks about the unknown God, because they had an idol, um, an altar to the unknown God, in that sense. In verses... um, 28 and 29, Paul says this, For in him we live and move and exist. King James says, have our being. Even as some of your own prophets have said, and also we are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image found by the art And thought of man. In other words, we must understand that God created this world and He is sustaining this world. If God lets go of His sustaining of this world, it would cease to exist. It came into existence by His very word let there be light. So it's very dangerous for us to begin to succumb to the. The idea that there is secular reality and sacred reality. Because that kind of compartmentalization will damage Christians. The second lie is that human beings evolved. And as we evolved, we evolved into different races. The concept of race is not a biblical concept. It's a modern concept, the way we use it. And it comes out of Darwinian evolution and the idea that some groups evolved faster than others. And it was manifest in their cultural development as well. And so we ended up with this idea of superior races and inferior races. An idea that led to eugenics and led to racism in America uh, coming out of slavery. Slavery existed before the racism, but that scientific notion of racism is not a biblical concept. Uh, In more recent times, people are talking less about races in that developmental sense and more about races as some races are oppressor races and some races are the oppressed races. That's part of critical race theory. All of these things are not biblical concepts. And if you think in terms of race, you are going to end up being racist. You're going to think racist. You're going to speak racist, and you're going to act racist. We have to understand the biblical truth. Well, what is that? That God created us in his image from one man, Adam. He made Eve from Adam, and then all the nations from that one line. Uh, We were divided linguistically at Babel. That altered our culture and our worldviews, but that's not different 
evolutionary superior and inferior frameworks. Those are more functional adaptations to the environment. But they were ignorant of God. They were damaged by sin. And that's why the Bible says our problems are not a problem of not evolving well enough, progressing well enough. We've got incredible technology, but human nature is what it's always been. The problem is sin. We have one humanity created in the image of God, but flawed and damaged by sin, which is in each of us. The third lie is that gender and sexuality are biological accidents of our evolution, which maintain the species. But now, evolution of culture and technology, based on our own intellect, allows us to alter the purpose and function so that gender, sexuality, reproduction, and parenting, and marriage no longer have to be connected. Those can be very separate issues. And you can have gender identity, and you can have sexual orientation, and you can have different kinds of marriage, and you can have reproduction that can be done technologically and doesn't need to involve traditional marriage. For God's people, that's not the case. And so we need to be reminded of the truth because we are not living by the lies, we're living by the truth. That God created us, male and female, in his image, and the first thing he said to them was, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God made us in the image of God, in the image of God made he him, male and female made he them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We are male and female for the purpose of marital companionship, for the purpose of sexual reproduction, for the purpose of parenting those children. And those things are a package for us. The world may have its own view of how those operate, but for us, we live by the truth. Concepts of gender identity, sexual orientation, conflate both the sinful nature of human beings and the increasing ignorance of God that happens among people so that we exchange the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. That's Romans chapter 1. I want to read that again to you so that you'll see that truth clearly. Romans 1, uh, 25 to 32. Let me pick it up at verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So obviously they no longer know God. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions 
For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman, burned in their desire towards one another, men with men working indecent acts, and receiving in their persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things that are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Notice the sin dimension comes from doing it our way instead of God's way. Living by the lies and not living by the truth. That although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, but they not only do the same, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. So there is a third lie that's about our gender and sexuality and marriage. The fourth lie is, and this one's really difficult because those of us who have grown up in the American culture, we've been dipped in this water till we've been dyed this color all along. Life is about finding safety and security through education and career preparation. The goal of life is success and significance by changing the world for the better. And all other considerations are secondary. We have turned education into career preparation as part of this thing. Now, Jesus made it clear that the priority of life is not what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear. But the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The nations are seeking all those things. Your father knows what you have need of. That will be taken care of. And of course you will work. But the issue of setting your place in the world. And your success and your security. With the most illusionary of all. Because security can go tomorrow. With a stock market crash. Or a plague or something else. So you can't serve God and wealth, Jesus said. And Paul talks about this as well. Really important for us to look at that. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6, 3 to 10. In talking about uh, the instructions here, he says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise... uh, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved minds deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. There's the prosperity gospel. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Now this contentment is a very low bar. 
You'll see it in the text. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. So if we have food and covering, I would include that to be clothing and housing, some place to sleep, with that we shall be content. Everything above that is gravy, okay? Which means most of us are living in the gravy into this. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Those who want to get secure, financially secure, fall into temptation and a snare. And many foolish and harmful desires plunge men into ruin and destruction. Because the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, piercing themselves with many griefs. You are to flee these things. So, the scripture is really clear that our purpose of being here is not to get ahead and get successful and get secure because there is no security in this context. The security is in the Lord. So finally, the fifth uh, lie. that all, And this is another tough one. So tough that I'm going to have to talk more about it next week. All suffering... That is, poverty, illness, oppression, and crime can be and should be eliminated from this life. And that's the goal of progress, equity, and government-based redistribution. And anyone who opposes this or denies it are evil and they must be canceled, changed, or eliminated. Now, the Bible does tell us to minimize some sufferings. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that we are to remove anger and grief from our heart and chronic pain from the body, particularly in childhood and young adulthood, because those things really do dampen uh, life. But the scripture then goes on to say, but as you get older, those things are going to be the natural form. You're going to grow old, you're going to have aches and pains, you're going to have difficulties, and ultimately then you're going to shed this body and the spirit will return to God. So, we are to assist those who are suffering because we're to love our neighbor and we're to give and help to their needs. But we're not going to eliminate that. The scripture is clear that we will never eliminate poverty. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Okay? Not that we ignore them, but that we need to understand that our goal is not to eliminate it, but to alleviate it. When you try to eliminate it, you end up doing greater evil than if you just minister to it. Same with crime and the same with illness. We fix one disease and new ones show up, right? What, what's going to ultimately get rid of all of these things is the return of the Lord and the resurrection. And the scripture is very clear, we'll talk more about this next week, that those who live godly in this life will suffer persecution. That's in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17, in case you want to look ahead for that. But the passage I want you to look at is Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, verse 
as Jesus is giving the uh, Beatitudes, in verse 10, we are told this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That is, living by the truth and not by the lies. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You cannot read the scriptures without realizing that when people lived the truth of God, they were persecuted by religious people and by governments. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, You shall be hated by all people for my sake, and then the end will come. So there is a cost to discipleship. And it involves suffering. Not suffering that people will assume you, you, God's angry at you. That's paganism. When people think that you've done something wrong and that's why you're suffering, that's what the pagans thought. If things are going good, the gods are blessing us. If things are going bad, the gods are cursing us. We live by the word of God and we may be blessed in this life in terms of life going fairly well for us. But Jesus says if you're suffering, that's also a blessing. Because that's a blessing that will carry into the kingdom. And we're not to lay up treasures in this life, but in heaven. So we have to rethink our doctrine of suffering. Because if we're going to resist the lies and live by the truth, we have to be prepared to count the cost of that discipleship. And that may be suffering. And it would not be good for us to come up with a how do we resist and not talk about what the implications of that may be for ourselves and for our children. So five lies that we must not live by. And we must teach our children not to live by them either. Secularism. There is no no-God zone. Racism. If you believe in race, you will end up being racist. Gender and sexuality is unrelated to marriage and parenting. No, they're specifically for that purpose. Life is about security, success, and significance. No, we're to be nothing in this world, but we're to be significant in the kingdom. And suffering is not normal and has to be eliminated. No, there is suffering for righteousness' sake that must be endured and will be a blessing and of great reward. So we need to live by the truth and not by the lies. And the way we do that is by staying close to the truth, the word of God, so that it's in us and we're doing it and we're experiencing truth as we obey the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.